Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome again to Encounter Church. Uh, Welcome, maybe, if you're new, if it's your first time, first couple of times, if you haven't been around for a little while, kind of a little bit feel like I should be welcoming myself for not being around here for a little while. I've been gone for a a couple of weeks now, and uh, maybe I should text the number and just, you know, test to make sure it's working out here. Uh, It's good to be back. Uh, After being around, it kind of feels like coming home, so I love that. We're in a series right now uh, called uh, I'm Over It. Like, so over it. And uh, just to kind of call us back to, like, what this series is about, uh, it really is inspired in a huge way by this little passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in the Old Testament. Uh, a little passage where, uh, where Moses is, is giving this final encouragement to the people before they go into the promised land. And he's telling them one more time, when you, when you go into a place uh, where there are vineyards you didn't plant and homes that you didn't have to build, when you go into this place... He's encouraging them to choose, make a decision, a choice, choose a life in obedience over death and disobedience. Choose what we'd say is choose the way of Jesus in this new land, the full life, the abundant life that Jesus offered. And so in this series, we're kind of expanding that out and said, what does the life of obedience, what does that full life look like, these bold declarations, kind of this awareness that we are little more at times than the sum total of the decisions that we make. So choose the kind of life and the kind of Jesus followers that we're going to be. And so throughout this series, we we made these choices, these declarations of choosing uh, diligence over regret, uh, choosing purpose over popularity. And and like looking back, uh, we are so incredibly blessed to have uh, such great uh, uh, speakers and uh, pastors to bring the message to us. Uh, Throughout this uh, series, we get to highlight a couple of those. Pastor Clarence uh, Stamps, a friend of mine from Indwelling Church, Um, Kyle uh, at the Kentwood location, Jackie at the Fulton Heights location. It's just, it's so, so incredible to know that God is just so very faithful to his church. Uh, today, we continue uh, the series, and we landed on part four of part, and, and we make this bold declaration, this choice uh, to choose fear uh, over, uh, choose faith over fear. Uh, and I recognize, like, some choices are easy, and that's not one of them. Like some choices, you don't have to think very hard because it just intuitively comes to you. I think every time I sit down in a restaurant, it doesn't take me very long to choose what I'm going to order. Uh, I don't need like a cheesecake factory thickness of a menu to select from. I'll just have the jalapeno burger or the closest thing to it. Anything jalapeno, spicy, sriracha sauce, I'm in. I don't even have to know what it is. Like just bring that. It's going to be great. And it's it's never disappointed me. Uh, some of you guys know I was uh, traveling around. My wife was invited uh, overseas to, to speak at this thing for a little while, and so I got to tag along. And so I was in, I was in England, and in England they, they drink tea. And so I was, I was often asked for, like, the choice, how do you take your tea? And the answer is right back to the counter because I don't want tea. <laughs> I didn't order it. It's an easy choice. Coffee, black coffee every single time. Some choices, sorry, tea drinkers, some choices are easy. Uh, but the choice to, to choose faith over fear is remarkably more difficult. So what I'd like to do this morning as we enter in uh, and, and open up God's word to hear what he has for us today uh, is to understand a little bit more, I guess, of the anatomy of the fear. Anatomy of fear so that, so that we can understand why faith often fails to fear. 
Uh, as we get into it, it may be helpful to kind of recognize uh, some of the things that, that we're afraid of and, and so that you can kind of keep that, keep that in, in your mind. I was reading this interview with a therapist, uh, and she was kind of explaining what, what, the, um, what the driving factors of things that people are afraid of that bring people into, clients into uh, her office on a regular basis. And she said one of the biggest things that people are afraid of is, uh, is change. Even really any kind of change, even good change, right? There's this fear of uh, change that comes from uh, getting married or having a baby. These are good, like most of the time, intentional choices uh, that we make. Uh, But still there's this fear because there's like a loss of freedom or there's a loss of something. And she's like, there's always a fear that comes along with change because change always means loss. And we don't actually fear the change. We fear the loss that comes along with that. I think some of us... Some of us fear change. I think sometimes uh, the thing that, that we fear is loneliness. Loneliness makes us do some really strange and bizarre things at times. Like loneliness oftentimes keeps us in relationships that we know are toxic, that we know are bad from, for us. But at least being in a bad relationship is better than being alone and not in one at all. And so we, like, we stay there even though we know we shouldn't, even though we know it's bad for us. But it's, it's fear that, that keeps us in that place. Fear drives us to do remarkable things on social media, to like give our whole lives over watching somebody else live their lives instead of creating one for ourselves. It makes us abuse and, and overuse social media because we like crave just, just those hearts or those likes or just something to remind us that we're not alone. It's the, the fear of being alone, that loneliness that really makes us do some really unhealthy, even toxic things. Right? We have fear of change, fear of loneliness, fear of failure, because when we step out on a limb and we try something that doesn't have like 100% guarantee of success after, and then when we fail at that thing, there's that little voice inside of all of our heads, or maybe just mine, that says, maybe it isn't that, that you did fail, maybe it's that you are a failure. It's who you are, and the voice gets bigger. It's fear of, fear of rejection, Right, about stepping out and, and, and really asking, even in, a, even in a somewhat healthy relationship dynamic, we can be afraid to ask for what we want or ask for what we need because like, once we do that, once we ask for it, it's like that cat won't particularly like, go back into the bag once it's out. We fear rejection, we fear failure, we fear loneliness, we fear change, we fear loss, we fear so much. And so we're going to hear a story now, and I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to open it up, and the words are going to be on the screen. We're phone-friendly, so you can check it out that way as well. We're going to Matthew 14. Um, as we set it up, though, this story is going to involve a storm, and I think it would be helpful uh, to take a page out of the, uh, out of the uh, Meteorological Association uh, and name our storms. You guys know we name storms, right? We, we've been doing that. Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Harvey, Superstorm Sandy, we name storms. Kind of a fun fact about naming storms is that uh, we haven't always done this, but meteorologists found it just kind of helpful. So as a practical measure, that's how it got started. True story, in the 1950s, they started naming storms, and it wasn't like an official thing. They just like, yeah, it's helpful for knowing where it is and keeping track of the, the toll and the cost of them all. And so the meteorologists, who <laughs> were all men, and you know that because of the terrible decisions that they made, they named the storms after their wives and girlfriends. It's horrible, just a terrible idea, right? Uh, eventually, probably a woman was hired as a meteorologist, and they're like, this is not, that's not a good idea. We shouldn't do that. And so 
in the 50s or 60s sometime, um, storms gained equal rights, and it was like men and women, and it wasn't like after anybody in particular, which is, a good, which is probably a good thing. But to name the storms, because we've said it once, we've said it a bunch of times, you, can't, you cannot defeat what you're unwilling to define. Right? So name the thing. Name the storm. And maybe that's where you are this morning, and you're like, I don't even know if like, Jesus is going to overcome that in my life. But maybe the first thing that you do is just to simply name it. It's a hurricane of change. It's a low pressure of loneliness setting in. It's a freezing rain of being frozen out in rejection. Just naming, naming the storm would be helpful. We're going to hear about another one from Matthew 14. Um, Matthew 14, and it starts, uh, starts this way, answering the question, why does faith give way to fear? Matthew 14 and 22 says immediately, we're going to hear that word a lot, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Two words I want you to hang on to if you're taking notes. Um, He made the disciples get into the boat, and then he dismissed the crowds. Let's read verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there all alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Buffeted, beat up by the waves, because the wind, was, the wind was against the boat. Like keeping it out on, the, out on the lake. The waves and the wind beating up against it. The wind was against it. Uh, a little bit of context about what we just read. Because when you know a little bit more of the story, I think it enhances the significance of the story even more. Uh, Matthew 14, where this one takes place, um, there's a lot more to it. In fact, the story immediately preceding this one was a story about how uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. You didn't have to grow up in church to know something about that story. In fact, the title kind of says it all. He fed 5,000 people, right? Not with a catering crew, with a kid's lunchable, right? Kid shows up and he's got uh, like a few dinner rolls and some fish sticks. Jesus prays over it, multiplies it, and feeds 5,000 people. The disciples gather up the baskets. There's more left over in those baskets than they had to start off with incredible story, not the point this morning. The point this morning, why I share that with you, is because the crowd was so excited about Jesus and about what he could do for them that they decided to nominate, elect, and forcibly install Jesus as not like their Messiah or their, or their Lord and Savior, as their, as their king, as their like political ruler instead of Herod on the big shiny throne in the capital. Like they wanted Jesus to sit in that particular spot. And they were ready to do it. And the crowd, it says, it was all, John tells the story, and the crowd is like all stirred up, and they're ready to forcibly install him into that. And Jesus, looking at this, going, I don't want that for my disciples. I don't want that for any followers. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. I don't want you to make the mistake that my kingdom is going to be so small and so limited to this one geographical patch. I have something so much bigger, so much grander in mind, and so much deeper. I'm not after their politics. I'm after their hearts. And so Jesus made them get into the ark, get into the boat. He's saving them. He's saving them from their worldviews, being polluted by this political thing that was going on. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. get in the boat. Get in the boat. And I want to, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you from that. He, he made them. Now we're going we're to hear, I want, I want us to hear three things about this. Um, the first thing, Feeding the 5,000 story, the first thing we learn is people will always turn out for food. (laughs) 
Like, we learned that, right? And the people are so excited about that. That's why we do coffee and bagels. That's why Encounter's big on food trucks. I mean, we like that. The people will turn out for food. Uh, the second thing is, Jesus is rescuing them, rescuing them from misunderstanding what he is actually about and how he is actually going to save them on a, on a much deeper level than they ever thought possible. And the, and the third thing that we learn about this is I have to believe Jesus is on this mountain and he's praying and he's sending his disciples out into the boat and into the waters knowing a storm is ahead of them. I've read the end of the story. Jesus turns out to be the omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, omnipowerful God of the universe, the Son of God Almighty. I just have to believe Jesus knew what he was doing in that moment. The storm that is about to come and beat against them was not unforeseen, was not an accident. Which means Jesus knowingly sent his followers into the storm because he had something for them there. Now we ask this question, why, why is it That faith gives way to fear. Some of the answer to that is that we misunderstand the storms that we find ourselves into. Faith gives way to fear because we think that when we're following after God, is that that we're safe and we're protected and that we're good. Is that he's going to guide us in the the pastures of uh, peace and power and purpose, uh, popularity. Prosperity, I'm trying to think of all the P words I can, but that's all I got. We think that at the center of God's will is save. Like coming back to the great children's work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the one character asked about Aslan, the lion, like, is he safe? And he's kind of a stand-in for God. No, of course not. Of course he isn't safe. But he's, he's good. Like we think about God, like we're the little kid and we're holding on to God, like, like a little kid holding on to mom's leg in a, in a crowd and like I'll just stay over here and I'll be protected and I'll be safe. And what this story shows us is that sometimes God has something for you in the storm, don't miss it. When the storm comes up, never miss. Never let the presence of a storm Make you doubt the presence of God. Don't let the storm in front of you cause you to miss the God around you. He has something for you here. But I want us to see, too, that the wind was against it, was against them. They're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing, and they're not getting anywhere. Listen to the next line in verse 25. Shortly before dawn. Dawn. You know what happened, quote, immediately ahead of this passage? The feeding of the 5,000? Dinner. We go, we go from dinner to them in a storm to dawn. They have been out there all night long. We're talking about hours of straining, trying desperately to escape this storm. And it's just not happening for them. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And Matthew, in writing the story, as a close follower of Jesus, is like, I've got very little ink and very little papyrus to write on but this is so important i don't want you to miss it matthew repeats when the disciples saw him again walking on the lake they were terrified it's a ghost they said and they cried out in fear yeah fear that's a natural response on it right to cry out in fear like the faith giving way to fear thing like we can kind of we understand that especially from their perspective. Like, they didn't have snorkeling gear. They didn't have scuba equipment to go on and see, like, the 
the magical underwater world that was uh, that God gave them to explore. Like they didn't know all this. They were on the on the beach sometime, and these massive creatures would like wash up onto shore, and they're going, "What in the world is happening right underneath the surface?" Like nobody knows. That's kind of the point. They're out there in a storm all night long, just trying to escape it, just trying to get out of this storm, but it's holding them right there, and they can't get away from it. And now in between claps of thunder and flashes of lightning, there's this shadowy figure like coming towards them, walking on the water. We're not going to fault them if they think, I think that shadowy figure might, might intend to do me ill. Verse 27, Jesus though, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It's not a shadowy figure. It's Jesus. It's the, it's the live and in-person Jesus. And he says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. That's like his, 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 his line, you know, that's God's line. He says that a lot throughout scripture. Um, he says some kind of variation of that, uh, don't be afraid, um, uh, fear not, uh, something close to that, almost 400 times throughout the Bible. Like, God has a habit of saying that. And we, we come back to, like, the, the idea of safety and being in God's will, and it's just, you know, following God, and it should be the place where I'm protected from anything bad from ever happening. And it's like, why on earth would God tell us 400 times not to be afraid if he didn't ever intend for us to be in some kind of fearful situations? Is it the fact of the matter, and the story is Jesus sent them into this thing because he has something for them there. He has something for you here in the midst of the storm like that you're in right now. He didn't, he didn't put you here to escape it. He didn't here to, he put you here to save you from it. He is doing something. He is saving you through it. And we spend all of our time trying to escape the storm, trying to run the storm rather than to sit in the storm and ask God, why did you bring me here? What is it that I'm supposed to learn? How is it that I'm supposed to grow in this space? But Peter, <laughs> I, loved, I love this guy, Peter, verse 28. Great, uh, Peter, uh, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. <laughs> why does he do that? Like, what in his history would suggest that he is now capable of walking on water? There's, like, no Old Testament. There's no, like, thing that he's like, well, okay, this happened, so now I guess I'm good. Verse 29, come, Jesus said. <laughs> then Peter, Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water. Matthew is like, I just want to make sure that we heard this. By the way, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the gospel writers of Jesus story, include this story. It's, a, it's rare that they would all, it's like this and the resurrection, maybe a couple more, but like all of them are like, this is a really important story for us to pick up on. Uh, all four of them share this. Uh, Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and came towards Jesus. I asked the question, why? I was cur like, curious earlier, like, honestly, why did he do that? And like, honestly, nobody knows. Nobody can figure it out. It's the weirdest thing. Commentators like writing on this, like, I, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe he got to be involved in the previous miracle, like the, the feeding with the fish sticks and stuff. Maybe he, 
Maybe he got to like do the basket picking up afterwards. And he's like, it was really cool. I got to be involved in that miracle. I'm going to try to be involved in all of them now. <laughs> like maybe that's the thing. Other people say, I love this practicality of it. It's like, have you met teenagers? You know, Peter's a young guy, maybe mid, late teenage. He's a little impulsive. And he sees his master, his rabbi walking on water. He's like, yeah, me too. Me too. Let's go. I don't, we don't know. We don't know why Peter steps out onto the water after Jesus. But like we look at Peter, you guys, and Peter, Peter is the paradigm. Peter is a perfect example of faith. And at the same time, we can also, Peter is, Peter is the paradigm. Peter is the perfect example of faith giving way to fear. We see Peter asking the question, can I come out onto the water with you? We see, uh, we see Jesus looking at Peter as the paradigm of faith and going, you know what, on you, Peter, on you, Rock, his name, definition, on you, Rock, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Peter. Peter, the paradigm of faith. Peter, the guy who, who not uh, two months uh, earlier, the city, Jerusalem, conspired to kill his rabbi and now Peter, uh, a little while later, just several weeks later, stands up in the midst of that crowded city to boldly declare his hope in the rabbi that they had just previously killed. And thousands come to faith. Like Peter is the paradigm of faith. Peter is willing to give his life for the cause of Christ. He's the paradigm of faith. He's also the paradigm of faith giving way to fear. He's also the guy who says to a little kid, I don't know Jesus. I'm afraid. Peter is also the guy who so badly misinterprets the movement of Jesus that Jesus looks at him and goes, you know, just, just get behind me, Satan. Peter is the paradigm of faith. He's the paradigm of faith giving way to fear. You guys, Pete, Peter, Peter is me. I think Peter is all of us. Because at times I will take bold risks for the cause of Christ and I'll find myself like, I can't believe that Jesus just showed up in that conversation that way. I can't believe I said that. And other times I won't. So I'm afraid. Peter is the paradigm of faith and he's the paradigm of faith giving way to fear. Peter Peter is all of us. And we get the answer to the question, why Peter? Why does faith give way to fear? And it's simple in verse 30, the answer to our question that we've been asking all morning. When he saw the wind, that's when he was afraid. <laughs> I don't think that he like in that moment just realized Oh, it's windy. <laughs> like he was out there all night long trying to escape the storm that his, his master had sent him into. In between flashes of lightning and the clap of thunder, I don't think he just realized in that moment that there is also wind to pull him away from Jesus. I think that the truth is, is that he was watching Jesus and his eyes were fixed on Jesus and he was walking on the water with 
with his Savior. But when he took his eyes off from Jesus, something unique happened. Like a a division took place. He was more distracted now with the circumstances going on around him rather than the Savior in front of him. He took his eyes off from Jesus and, and he will begin to sink. We do that, right? When we take our eyes off from Jesus, we begin to sink because we start to care and we start to get concerned and we start to get overwhelmed with the storm swirling around, with the circumstances happening all around us. And we need to hear that faith is not what I see. Faith is what God says. We continue on in verse 30. Beginning to sink, Peter cries out and there's this beautiful little three-letter prayer and he says, Lord, save me. And immediately, we see it again, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. That's going to be important. Let me say it again. He reached out his hand and he caught him. He said, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And it's like, seriously, man? Like, why? Why did I doubt? I find myself, I'm walking on water and there's lightning and thunder and wind all around me and I start to sink. You know why I doubted. I think Jesus, it's a rhetorical question that he's asking. He's like, yeah, I know why you doubt. We know why you doubt. It's not about the storm. It's not about the circumstances. You've seen storms. You've seen circumstances in the past. You're doubting because you took your eyes off from me. Matthew only uses that word doubt one other time. Uh, Ditsatso is the Greek word uh, that he doubted, that, that he literally had a split mind. He is trying to focus on Jesus, but he's also concerned with the circumstances going on around him. And it's like you can't do both of those things. We fix our eyes on Jesus And Jesus is the one who's going to pull us through the storm. Like, fix your eyes on Jesus. If we want, like, my advice, my takeaway on the story, I mean, I've got some advice, and then I've got just a simple encouragement for you guys. My advice this morning, coming out of this passage, is just simply this. Don't be a cow. (laughs) I'm sure that landed perfectly. It's very profound. I know that you got it. You write that down. No cow. I'm done. Right? No, don't, don't be a cow. Cows, fun fact, like looking into this thing uh, for today. Cows are, are not indigenous to North America. They were brought over, domesticated, and that's where we get hamburgers and, and milk, and it's great. Okay, I'm not, not against cows. You've got to hear me. But they're not indigenous uh, to North America, especially not, especially not the area where a lot of cows tend to roam in the, in the area around like, like Colorado. A lot of us, we think Colorado, and we're like, you know, Mile High City, Denver, Mountain Range, the Rockies, you know. Yeah, yeah that's like half of, that's half of Colorado. The other half butts up against Kansas, and it's just flat, and it's just plains. And so there's this, like, weather meteorological thing that kind of takes place that when the, the wind and when the weather kind of comes over the mountains and comes onto the plains, these storms come up out of nowhere, And just like flood, sometimes literally the cows, storm swirling, lightning, clapping, thunder, everything all around them. The cows are caught in a storm. And because cows are are so entirely unprepared for all of this because they're not indigenous to North America, cows do what cows do. They freak out most of the time. One person told me earlier who, who works with cows, he's like, I've seen cows in a storm. I've also seen cows like trample each other because they're just terrified. And they try to run away and they try to escape the storm. Sometimes they'll lay down and try to like let it go over them. But if they're running away from the storm, you can imagine what that does. 
Right? As the weather sweeps in from the, from the west to the east and the cows of Colorado are just trying to escape it. And so they run east. The cows are like running and they can't outrun the storm. Cows are not graceful creatures, right? They're trying to outrun the storm. They can't outrun the storm. They're running away from it. The storm envelops them. They just keep on running and it keeps them in the storm that much longer. Entirely ill-equipped to deal with North American weather events. But bison, native to the Plain States, to storms that come out of nowhere, bison are prepared. Bison don't run away from the storm. Bison turn towards the storm as a herd animal square up to it, shoulder to shoulder, making themselves smaller. You've seen them from the side, size of a house. In the front, less than the size of a house. (laughs) Bison will, will herd up shoulder to shoulder and they will march together into the storm that is now sitting upon them because they know I can't outrun the storm, but I can shorten it by going deeper into the heart of it and it'll pass over me. Don't be a cow. Don't lay down. God sent you into a storm. He has something for you here. My deep conviction of God's provision and power and his providence over our lives tells me there's a reason why you're here. Don't escape it. Don't try to outrun it. March. Shoulder to shoulder with some other bison deeper into the storm. He brought you here. When it gets cloudy, when it gets rainy, when you can't see your way through, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes. And don't be so concerned with the circumstances around you. Remember what Christ has already done for you. There's a cross that says God cares. There's an empty grave that says God can. March deeper into the storm, fixing your eyes on Jesus. He has something for you here. That's my advice. Don't be a cow. Don't be a bison. Be a bison. And my encouragement is that sometimes we read a story like this and we see it as a, as a, as a Peter failed story. You know, again, a church leader failed. You know, again, some kind of moral falling out. Again, Christians sinning. And again, another leader being a cow, laying down in the midst of it all. And we kind of identify with that because each one of us trying to follow Jesus have tried to run away, have tried to lay down. We're cows. You guys, the most beautiful part of this story, it is not the fact that Peter failed. The most beautiful part of the story is that Jesus saves, is that Peter failed like cows do. He's falling down. 
And Jesus is the one who reaches on and to grabs him by the hand. Maybe for us, he grabs us by the shirt collar or the belt and pulls us out of the watery grave that we would find ourselves in. And he puts us on the boat. Jesus saves. We fail. Yeah, that's not the point. That's not even the end of the story. The point is Jesus saves. He looks at Peter and he goes, oh, you of little faith. And I don't think that's a diminutive thing. I don't think Jesus is making fun of him because little faith moves mountains. Amen. Little faith is something that God works with because it's not the size of the faith, it's the object of the faith. A little faith, a mustard seed faith in a Savior like Jesus and mountains move and we are saved. That's the kind of faith worth fixing our eyes onto. Jesus saves. Advice, don't be a cow. Point of the story, Jesus saves not against the storm, maybe in the midst of the storm. And then just some bonus material in verse 32, because I've got it. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and they all worshiped God. The presence of Jesus was enough. They saw him, and they didn't have to ask. He calmed the storm. I want to invite you to stand up and let's pray to the God of the weather, the God of all of creation, the God, the only God who deserves all of our praise and our glory and our honor, who deserves our worship. Jesus, you are the King of kings. Jesus, you are everything. Jesus, we're cows. We tried to run away. We tried to escape this thing that you've brought us into. God, we don't want to learn Whatever it is that we have to learn, we don't want to grow however it is that we have to grow. Give us the courage to face it head on. Maybe, Lord, it's a, maybe it's a hard conversation that we've been avoiding for a long time. We've been running away from a long time. God, give us the courage to have it, to ask the questions directly. God, maybe we've been hiding something from the people around us. God, give us the courage today to open it up and to share God, whatever it is, fixing our eyes on you, Spirit, give us the courage and the power to walk shoulder to shoulder with some other bison into the storm. Because it's not what's happening around us. It's about what you, Jesus, have already done for us. You are our King today and forevermore. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.